Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And so show, we're talking about what if I bought a property at the peak of the market? Well, we recently did a podcast talking about, well, what are the pros and cons of buying a property last year compared to this year? And we always say, you know, there's good things and bad things happening on the market. Last year, it looked like interest rates were going to be lower for longer, but you had higher prices, you know, this year lower prices, higher interest rates. But then we got some people asking, well, what if I bought a property at the peak of the market where it looked like interest rates were going to be lower, now I'm going to pay a high price, and on top of that, I'm going to have high interest rates, maybe 6%, 6.5%. And so there are some people saying, what do I do if that's my situation? What's the impact on cash flow? That's what we're covering today. But just before we go into the cash flow implications, I do want to give you some comfort if you did buy at that peak of the market, because you might look at yourself now and think, why did I do it? House prices around the country down 12.5%. What am I doing? I'm an idiot. But what you've got to remember is look back at what the Reserve Bank and Treasury were saying at the time that you bought. You know, the Reserve Bank predicted that house prices from November last year were going to increase another 5 to 6% over the following 15 months. In fact, they predicted that prices wouldn't peak until over 15 months after you bought. They thought it was going to happen in March 2023. And now that's where we're predicting it's going to be the bottom of the market. And if you would look out to the end of their forecast, they predicted that if you invested in November, well, their forecast showed you wouldn't have lost anybody over that time. House prices would go up, but they'd come back a bit, but you wouldn't be down anything by the end of their forecast. So it would have been reasonable to think, okay, well, if I'm in it for the long term, I can get the money, you know, let's go. And I also looked at the Treasury's forecast that came out the following month in December last year. You know, they had house prices being flat right out until 2026, not going up, but not going down, and therefore not making money, but also not losing any money. Now, of course, house prices have come down 12.5%. And what I'm saying to you is if, the two organisations in this country that employ the smartest and the most economists, if the Reserve Bank and the Treasury didn't foresee this amount of downturn, how could you have possibly seen it? Mate, don't beat yourself up because you invested based on what the top organisations in the country told you would happen to house prices and you made the best decision you could at the time. Now, of course, investing comes with risk. You've got to accept the good and you've got to accept the bad. But you shouldn't say, I'm so dumb, I shouldn't have done that. Well, maybe you shouldn't have, but you made the best decision that you could at the time. I'm bought at the peak as well. That's what happens. But the big question now is let's turn our focus to cash flow because that's how we're going to get through it. And so what does a cash flow look like on a property that you bought at the peak of the market last year? Because we always talk about there being positive and negatives of any market. So today, higher interest rates working against you harder to get lending right now, but you get a lower purchase price. But if you bought at the peak of the market last year and you're about to refix your mortgage or settle a new build investment property, yeah, you've paid a higher price than what the value is today maybe, and you're facing higher interest rates. So what we did was we actually re-ran the numbers, and they're not quite as bad as you might think. And we used the Markroft property, which we used as an example a couple of weeks ago, two-bedroom townhouse in Christchurch. 650 purchase price, renting up 480 a week at the time of the peak of the market. 
But today you might have got it for, you know, let's say 559000 Rent's probably about the same. Lower interest rate previously versus higher interest rate forecast today. Okay, so let's compare what the cash flow would be from what the lower interest rate forecast we had back then was compared to our higher interest rate forecast today. What's the difference, Andrew? Well, I think the biggest thing is now your contributions are a bit more top heavy. It's going to cost you more in the short term, but then they drop down after that. So right now, if we look at them side by side, your cash flow is higher earlier, particularly in kind of year one of operating, because rather than just contributing maybe a $200 a week top up, it's closer to the $500 a week top up. Now, that's a big difference. That's a $300 a week difference. But I did actually, when we were talking about this episode beforehand, think it could be worse. And just to be really clear, I sometimes don't think everybody knows what we mean when we talk about top-ups, Andrew. So what I mean by that is, what's the rent coming in? Then what's your mortgage and all your other expenses? And then is there a positive income or a negative income? So for most people that are buying at 100% borrowing, then there's going to be a top-up required. So the amount you need to pay over and above the rent to fund all the bills. That's right. So initially you were looking at, you as the investor would have to transfer $200 a week into this property's bank account to keep it floating. Now, because of the higher purchase price and the higher interest rates together, that takes it up to you as the investor transferring $500 a week into that account, which is a big $300 jump. Which might sound a bit scary, but... If you look at it over the 15-year forecast that we do when we're assessing any property, it actually averages out to be pretty similar. So the total amount of cash that you put in over a 15-year period is actually only $10,000 more now with the higher interest rates. So about an average of $13 a week on average. Again, it is going to be top heavy. It's going to be expensive for the first year or the first 18 months or the first two years, but then it's going to level out. You've just got to get through this higher interest rate environment. Well, the other thing is that in the initial model that we did, the worst cash flow year for that property originally, so for people who, if you'd bought something similar to this back in November last year, the worst cash flow year was looking to be year four. So that's where you would have, in this model, had to put in 300 bucks a week into that bank account. Now, the worst cash flow year has been brought forward to year two. Of course, we're a little bit further in the future as well, but interest rates are visible quickly. And that's going to be negative 520 bucks a week. So $220 a week worse, but it gets better over time. So it's short-term pain, longer-term gain, or short-term worse, longer-term, but better than what we thought it was going to be. And of course, it's based on forecast assumptions when we do these. Now, why do these differences occur? Why is the short-term going to be worse? but the long-term going to be slightly better, making the overall picture not that much different, actually. Well, one of the core assumptions we initially had was we set our long-term interest rate at 5%. We've adjusted it down to 4.5%. Now, look, let's be realistic. Whether we set it at 4.5% or 5% in 10 years' time, is the interest rate going to be 4.5% and then 4.5% the next year and then 4.5% the next year and the next year and the No, mate. What about the next year? No, not even that one, <laughs> believe it or not. No, of course not. Interest rates are going to go up or down. But whenever you do a forecast, whenever you do a model, and I think you should, I think it's important to model things out over 15 years that you're going to hold this, you've got to come to some assumption about what's the interest rate's going to be. 
And I'm pretty comfortable with four and a half now based on the updated modeling we've done. But of course, things are going to keep happening. They're going to push interest rates up and they're also going to push them down. The other major factor, other than just slightly lowering our long-term assumption for interest rates, is we've massively increased our short-term assumption of what interest rates are going to do. And that's making it top-heavy, but over the long-term, actually slightly better. So the main question is, how are you going to manage? How are you going to get through that period where interest rates are higher? And look, this is where you use the seven strategies to manage your investment top-up. And there's an article to this on our website or podcast episode number 959. But the main ones are using a revolving credit facility if you've got the usable equity in other rental properties or your owner-occupied property. And the way this works is, say you can afford a $200 a week top-up because that was what was in your mind, then you might use a $45,000 revolving credit facility, which means that you're going to have a shortfall over the next couple of years because $200 is not enough. But then in the years where you're making more money from the rental property and the, the costs are lower, you're going to build up a bit more of a buffer and you're going to pay back that revolving credit facility. Just to make that really clear as well, because I know sometimes I model things out, I can see the Excel spreadsheets, but maybe you guys, you guys obviously can't because you're listening on audio. So you as the investor, you say, I can afford 200 bucks a week. So you transfer that into your property's bank account. And you say, okay, but I need to put in 500 bucks a week because rates are really high. That's where you might set up that revolving credit and you take the balance, which would be 300 bucks a week, you take that out of the revolving credit and you put that into the property's bank account. Now, it might not always be that smooth, but that's kind of the idea of it. You put in 200, you borrow the other 300, and then over time, there are going to be times where actually that property's bank account, oh, it only needs to be topped up by 100 bucks a week. Well, when that eventually happens, you put 100 bucks into the property's bank account and you put another 100 bucks into the revolving credit to pay that down. And based on our modeling for this specific example, 45 grand revolving credit's what you need. It'd be all paid off by the end of the 15 years. Yeah. The other thing you can do is review your other investments where you might be putting money at the moment, which could be you know, into a shares account or often a common one is extra payments that you're making on your KiwiSaver account at the moment. Now, I just want to clarify that's not necessarily the right advice for everyone. I'm just giving you a blanket rule. Just weigh that up. And again, remember, you're just trying to weather this storm. The next 12 to 18 months, you're trying to balance out these higher contributions. So maybe you just reduce it in the short term. The other one, which is similar to that, is extending existing mortgage terms. So if you've got a mortgage that's paid off in 17 years, but you can put it back out to a 25-year term, for now, to reduce your payments on your personal mortgage, put the extra that you're saving into your rental property top up and then increase those payments again when interest rates are back down. But bear in mind, if you can get the lending from a bank nowadays, they've tested this on a much higher interest rate, on a principal and interest mortgage and on reduced rent because they shade the rental income. So you can actually afford it. It's just that it might feel a bit more expensive than what you're expecting at the moment. Now, for some people, you genuinely won't be able to afford that property. So one option to consider is can you settle and then sell? So even if maybe things have changed, maybe it's not the right investment for you anymore, there may be an option if you can still get the money to borrow it, settle the property, buy it, put it in your name, and then if you need to, potentially sell it. So the value of that property may have stayed the same, it might have gone down. But just because, you know, you might be able to buy a similar new build property today off a developer for significantly less, in this example that we've talked here, we've talked 14%, 
That does not mean that the value of your property has dropped 14%. This property is in the Christchurch market. The Christchurch market's dropped 4%. Now, again, why might that be the case? We've said for almost the last year, new builds are more sensitive to price changes than the rest of the market. Developers have to sell their properties. Vendors, Bob and Sally down the street, they don't necessarily have to sell their property in every situation. And because of that, developers are more likely to drop their price and their pants compared to Bob and Sally down the street. But of course, if you do that, and you'll have to judge it on your own situation, there will be real estate agents fees and the value of your property may have changed. But if you've got to get out of the investment, if you can settle and sell, that's one option. And if you can't settle and sell, you can't get the money to be able to settle the property or you don't have the cash to be able to do that, there are three ways to get out of an unconditional contract. And there's an article on our website explaining this, but the options are these three. You can nominate the contract to someone else. This is when you say, hey, look, I'm not going to buy this, but my friend Edward McKnight will. And so you assign the contract over to him. You can get a real estate agent to sell the property off the plans, which is not probably our recommended option. Or you can go back to the developer and ask if they will sell it, depending on the price that you've paid. They may or may not look at doing that. Look, your worst case scenario, if you don't settle that property, then you are at risk of losing your deposit. Because remember, you are in a legally binding, unconditional contract, but you only lose your deposit if you go through these steps and you haven't found a solution. So probably the best advice I'd give to someone is if you feel like you might be in that situation, discuss the options early on. And I tell you what, it's really interesting because I often deal with investors who have had a tricky situation like this. I would say that 75% of the time there is actually a solution that we can work through, probably even more than that. Now you might be thinking, why are you telling me all of this? Well, look, here's what I believe. If you're investing in property, you've got to know the good and you've got to know the bad. Now property can change your life and it can make you rich, but in the meantime, it's probably going to piss you off at some point. Property's going to get annoying, the interest rate's going to be high, you're going to be putting a lot of cash into it, the price of properties are going down. And during that, nobody's having a good time. Oh, it's not very nice, is it? Especially if you bought back when prices were quite high and now we've got higher interest rates and poor cash flow. Maybe if you're buying today, you're probably having a jolly time thinking you've got yourself a great deal. But for those of us who did buy at the peak, yeah, we might be bidding ourselves up now. But if we can get through this, if we could use these strategies, and we've talked a lot about these different things. That's why we're referencing a lot of these articles and podcasts because if you are needing to manage the higher top-ups and you know, you're perhaps struggling to, and some people will, you need to find the solutions. And we're trying to put those out there and telling you honestly what those various options are and the process to work through if you did buy at the peak of the market and you think, what do I do now? These are the various options. And look, of course, if you bought your property through Opus Partners, that's where you can talk to the financial advisor you work with. Talk with the financial advisor, rerun the numbers, see how it's going for you, see what your numbers are going to look like. Right, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Property Academy podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, I'll tell you what, if you do want to get recommended your next investment property through Opus Partners, next step, book in a portfolio planning session with one of our team. Easy way to do this. Whip out your phone, send us a text, text the word plan to 5522. We'll give you a buzz, see if it's the right fit for you. Listening to the Property Gonna Be podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're gonna be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most after you sell the property market. Until next time.